and we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I tell you today, on the basis of God's holy word, from one end of the other where God prophesied in Genesis that the seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent till the end when John exclaims, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, I tell you that Jesus is coming again. It will happen. The scene before us today is the high point of all history. And I could give you a scheme of the events as prophecy reveals it. I could tell you what is going to happen. But I have learned that I will never be able to improve on the text of God's Word. And so tonight I want us to, this morning, say I've been doing Revelation at nights, and this is the first one in the morning, and I'm confused. This morning we're going to look at Revelation chapter 19. I want you to get the Bible out and follow the text, for we will let... God's Word dictates our predictions about what will happen when Jesus comes again. Revelation chapter 19 is perhaps unparalleled in all the literature of the world's history when it comes to sheer drama and stark contrast. In this chapter, we see a series of contrasts. There are two great feasts, two suppers, one of sublime joy as the bride and the Lamb are united forever one of utter horror and repugnance as the birds of the earth feast on the bodies of the enemies of God. There are two responses to the Lord Jesus in this chapter, one of thunderous praise and the other a war of blasphemy. There are two rewards seen in this chapter. One are those who receive the dazzling white robes and the others are those who find... But as we look at Revelation 19, the Lord Jesus fills the scene. He fills all of the events from every side. And so this morning, with the text of Revelation 19 as our guide, let us consider the bride and the lamb. First of all, in verses 1 to 6, here is what I have called the purpose fulfilled. The purpose fulfilled. The scriptures tell us that the end of all creation is the glory of God. The purpose of everything that has ever been done, of everything that has ever been created, and ultimately the result of the rebellion of the devil, his demons, and humanity will be the glory of God. Let us read these verses. After these things I heard, as it were, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! for her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bond servants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, 
for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Here the purpose of all creation is fulfilled, and the scene revolves around four resounding shouts of hallelujah. Hallelujah is a Hebrew word, and it means you, all of you, personally praise the Lord. Hal Lindsey says this is the Jesus rally that eternity will never quit attending. They say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It will be a shout of unison by the angels, by the Old Testament saints, by those who were saved and then martyred during the tribulation, and by the church. This is, as one commentator has said, the real hallelujah chorus. They sing hallelujah because of the salvation, because of the sovereignty, because of the supremacy of God. And all of heaven joins in as they sound the praise to Him. It rolls and reverberates. It resounds and grows. It, it echoes and it swells until over all creation like the sound of a mighty waterfall will come the voice united together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. They shout hallelujah first of all over the destruction of false religion, the religion of Babylon. They shout hallelujah because of the destruction of the world system that has forgotten God. They shout hallelujah led by the four and twenty elders and the four beasts who represent the elders, represent the church. They shout hallelujah in response to a voice that rises from within the very throne of God in all of life. They resound in answer, hallelujah. And the purpose of creation will be fulfilled. And then notice in verses 7 to 9, here is what I have called the prize received. We read, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready and it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Oh, how often would some tell us that revelation, that prophecy, that the things foretold that God has in store for us are all figurative, but the angel thought it important enough to say to John, these are the true words of God. It will happen. Finally, the prize will be received. We are told of the marriage ceremony of the lamb and the bride, and then we are invited to the feast. Now, to understand what this means and not to be confused by it, you have to understand a little bit about the weddings in that period of time, in that part of the world. First of all, there was the betrothal. This was the marriage contract that was uh, done between the parents of the children, often when the children were very young. It had a legal and binding force on both parties they would consummate the marriage if they were betrothed. Then there was the presentation when both came of age and the young man desired to receive his bride, they would have the presentation, what we would call the wedding ceremony. And then sometimes subsequent to the ceremony, they would have the marriage feast 
uh, comparable to our wedding reception, only theirs lasted much longer. The feast might last as long as the supplies held out. It might last for days or even weeks. Whatever they could afford, they would stay together and rejoice and share the joy of the bride and the groom for as long as they could. And this is what is happening between Christ and the church. We know that in the councils of his own uh, consultation in the ages of pre-existence, God appointed for his son a bride, the church, and we are betrothed to him. And after the rapture, when he, we meet him in the air and we go to be with him forever, the marriage will be consummated in the presentation. The ceremony will occur in heaven while the tribulation is going on on earth. And then the marriage feast, the marriage supper to which we are invited will begin on the earth after the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is foretold from one end of Scripture to the other. Jesus told, it of, told us of it in Matthew 22, in Matthew 25, in Matthew 26, and other places who are to be the guests at the feast between the bride and the groom they will be the same tribulation saints who were martyred for Christ during the great tribulation. The Old Testament saints, all of those who by faith from Abraham forward looked to the cross from the other side trusting that God would provide salvation for mankind. All of those Gentiles who have come out of the tribulation saved and the redeemed nation of Israel all will be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb and the prize will be received as they are clothed in white in the righteousness of Christ for eternity. And then notice a brief parenthesis in, in verse 10 that I have called the problem corrected. Here we read, And I fell at his feet. Now the one he falls at the feet of is an angel to worship him. And he said to me, Don't do that. I am your fellow servant and the brother of those who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the Spirit of Jesus is. The testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of prophecy. This is a very common blunder, for there have always been those and are those today who will kneel, literally kneel and owe allegiance to a man. There are those who will kneel and pray to an image. And notice in the Scriptures that even the mightiest angels of heaven will not receive worship. Now, he uses the name Jesus in verse 10. Now, you know, that's striking when you consider the context. For Jesus was the name of the man, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the son of Joseph. He is not called here the Christ, the anointed one, the prince of peace, the mighty God, the everlasting father. He is called Jesus. For it was as Jesus in his humanity going to the cross and dying for us that he made salvation possible for all men. Notice that he will retain his humanity even in eternity. Christ is the major subject of all Scripture, and he is the central theme of all prophecy. And then in verses 11 to 16, here the prince is revealed. We come now to the greatest moment of all history, to the final triumph of righteousness in the final defeat of evil. We come to an unimaginable catastrophe, a scene of death and carnage when righteousness shall triumph as God has told 
that it would. Throughout the Bible, this conflict has been foretold. It was foretold even in the book of Genesis. All of the prophets unanimously state that history shall come to a consummation on the plains of Megiddo when the nations of the world gather together to do war on God Almighty. Jesus told us of it. And Megiddo has always been the battlefield of history. In the Bible, we are told that it was here on the plains of Megiddo that Barak and Deborah went to war and defeated Sisera. It was here that the valiant band of Gideon defeated the great Midianite army. It was here that Saul did war with the Philistines and he and his sons lost their lives. It was here that Ahaziah slew King Jehu and it was here that Pharaoh Necho slew the righteous King Josiah. It, Josiah. it was on the plains of Megiddo that Jeremiah lamented the death and the defeat of Josiah. It was at Megiddo that the ancient empires of the world came to do battle that have, battles that have determined the course of history. The Turks fought there. The ancients fought there. The Druses' empire was forged there. The troops of Napoleon fought there. And history shall be consummated when the armies of the earth come together at Megiddo to do war with the Lamb and his bride. All of history is merely a foreshadowing of the day of the Lord's triumph on the plains of Megiddo. In chapter 4, John saw heaven opened in order that he might see what was going on there. In chapter 19, as we read these verses again, heaven is open so that Christ on his white charger of conquest may come forth and return again to this earth to take claim and possession of that which is his. We read beginning with verse 11. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war and his eyes are a flame of fire. And upon his head are many diadems, and he has a name written upon him which no one understands except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it, he may smite the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here the prince is revealed. This is not the rapture. For when he descended at the rapture, he did not touch his feet upon the earth. When he descended in the rapture, only those who loved him saw him as they went to be with him. And now universally and visibly he comes with the armies of heaven to take control of the earth. When he came the first time to earth, he came born in poverty and lived in a lowly state as a traveling rabbi. But when he comes again, he will come with the forces of the universe at his back, all crying hallelujah, 
praise the Lord. Praise he who sits on the throne. He will be then king of kings and lord of lords. Notice his names. There are three names shown here. He is called the faithful and true. That demonstrates his humanity. He is faithful and he is true. And a word about faithfulness, faithfulness is being faithful as God counts faithfulness. Sometimes we in our humanity want to do what we want to do and we call that faithfulness. Faithfulness is obedience to him. Jesus said, while he was on earth, I came not to do my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. I came not to speak my own words, but the words of my Father who is in heaven. He is faithful and true. Here is his humanity. We are told that he has a name that no one but himself can understand. That's his divinity. He is God, and no man has ever been able to fully understand, though we may accept it and believe it, how God could be merged with humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. Then we are told that he is king of kings and lord of lords. We are told that his name is the word of God, the word of God. Jesus, as verse 10 has already told us, Jesus is the word of God. Here he is in his kingship. The white horse in scripture always was a sign of conquest for after the battle when the general was victorious and his armies had won a victory he mounted the white charger for the victory procession now in verse 15 we are told that he will rule them with a rod of iron and that appears to be a very hard image but the word rule is the word shepherd now in the scriptures and in history and in actual fact, uh, a shepherd will rule the sheep with a rod. It is a rod of correction, but it is a rod of protection. It is an iron rod. It shall never be broken. It shall never be taken from his hand. And the prophecy is that he will from this time forward shepherd the universe with an unbreakable rod of protection and comfort. There are millions who have always said they could not accept the lowly Jesus, the suffering servant, as the king of the universe. And in that day, they will see him as the king, as the Messiah, as the ruler. We are told that he has a sword coming out of his mouth. Now, in the ancient past, the javelin, which you are familiar with, a large a long two-ended spear that is thrown. In the ancient past, the javelin was a long sword that was balanced so that it could be wielded by the hand or thrown. And what a beautiful picture that is of the Word of God. We are told in Ephesians 6 that the only weapon the child of God has is the Word of God. Here we are told it is a sharp sword coming from his mouth. It may be wielded by hand. It may be sent to its mark as the word of God is repeated. Here is the one who is faithful and true, who is king of kings and lord of lords. His armies, who are they? They are the same ones we have already seen, the church, the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints, Israel, the Gentiles. And then notice in verses 17 through 18. Here is what I have called the prophecy realized. Men have always had trouble believing that God would do what God has promised and said that he will do. I would remind you that prophecy is merely history that God has seen before it happens. And it is just as unchangeable 
as the events of past history. Here the prophecy is realized and John sees the time when those prophecies come to pass. He writes, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in the heavens, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, both small and great. In a few graphic words, we are told of the collapse of Satan's rickety empire as it falls around his shoulders. And as Hal Lindsey says, as the armies of the earth meet at the cockpit of planet earth, in a moment it will all be over. Imagine the scene as those who have assembled to go to war with all of their weapons, with all of their superior skills in warfare, see silhouetted, silhouetted against the sun, the angel of God as he calls to the birds of the earth, come to the great feast of God. And then almost as if by magic from all over the earth, every bird of prey in existence will come and begin to circle over the battlefield. The sun will be darkened by their presence. They will swoop low. They will croak in anticipation of the feast to which they have been invited. It is gruesome. It is horrid language. It is revolting. It is nauseating. But it is the truth. And it is the fate of all those who turn their backs on Jesus Christ. Not a bird of prey will be left out. It will happen. And then notice in verses 19 to 21 what I have called the promise is kept. The promise is kept. God always keeps his promises. And the scriptures say, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And here is his repayment. We read, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. The promise will be kept. Here at the end of time, Satan will have united all the nations of the earth against Christ. Perhaps we could sit in on their war council. As Satan says, his empire since it has been worldwide, it had always been rickety. It had never been solid. And he says, gentlemen, we have our differences. Our interests often clash. But this heavenly foe must be defeated. We must meet him. <laughs> Nations of the earth will gather against Christ. Now it is interesting to note that in that day there will be no atheists. 
There will be many who follow a false god who worship the devil, but there will be no atheists. And all alike will come for a showdown between the earth and the one who made the earth. Now the devil knows he's through, but he will not quit. And so we come to Armageddon, to the final battle of this conflict. It is just like the first coming of Christ, for at his first coming the nations of the earth rejected him then. And in the end of time they will unite in their rejection of him. What insanity! What insanity! Throughout the book of Revelation we have heard glimpses of the battle of Armageddon, the last battle of this great campaign for control of the earth. We have anticipated it, but when it comes, there is no mention of a struggle. Notice that in the text. There is no mention of the struggle. In one moment, we see the armies of the earth assembled to do battle with him, and in the next moment, it's all over. It's all over. For the word of his mouth is all it takes to bring an end to rebellion. The word of his mouth is spoken, and it is all over. What insanity! They have no strength compared to his. The fleets of the earth, the battalions and their weapons, the aircraft, the missiles, the armaments of the world, all will be poised for conflict, and yet in a moment it will be all over. Field marshals and generals, admirals and air commanders, soldiers and sailors, all fallen at the word of Jesus. And then the vultures descend and the scriptures say they were all filled with the flesh of rebellious humanity. Beloved, Jesus is coming again. There will come a day when every one of you within the sound of my voice and every person who lives or has ever lived will take place in one of two suppers. Take part, and the choice is yours. You can be with Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it is one marriage where everybody goes home with the bride and the groom and lives happily ever after. Or you may be on the field of battle, dead and vanquished and destroyed because you rejected the only way there is for survival. There is coming a day when there will be no more opportunity. There is coming a day when the philosophies and the wisdom of men of whom the Word of God says they are foolishness compared to His wisdom will be laid to rest and their voices will be silenced. And believe it or not, it will happen because the Word of God is reliable. It is never proven to be false and it never shall. Men know success on this earth men no failure but there is only one ultimate success and one ultimate failure and that is what will you do with Jesus Christ Revelation 19 would affirm that God loved the world so much that he gave all that he had in Jesus so that we might live the choice is yours when you reject Jesus and you reject him when you do nothing with him when you have rejected Jesus, there is no hope. The invitation 
that the Word of God leaves with us is that you would come to Jesus now. That you would come and own Him as your Lord, rejecting your own sin and your own failure and receiving Christ as the Lord of your life. You must do it. All that Revelation describes by way of glory and beauty and eternal promise belongs to you if you receive Jesus. He is yours for the taking. It will be the best deal you have ever made for you give up yourself and get Him in return. Jesus is coming again. And according to the Word of God, it could be soon. What will you do? How will you respond? With thunderous praise or with blasphemy? What will you do with Jesus today? May we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the fact that we know your word is true. Lord, we know that it will come to pass as you have told us. Father, I pray that your precious Holy Spirit will honor the Word of God and will touch the heart of every one who is assembled and of everyone who listens today. Father, I pray that you will draw from us the kind of surrender, the kind of commitment, the kind of wholehearted devotion that will make a difference in our lives and will help us bring a lost and doomed world to Jesus. Father, I thank you for what you will do and for the fact that you gather here among us to bless us as we worship. Do what you will. Save those who are lost. Bring Christians to a point of total commitment and do it all in a way that will glorify Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen.